Welcome to the 47th edition of the Guna podcast, recorded at the beginning of March between the matches against Stoke and Burnley. As ever, our thanks to our sponsors, GunaShirts.com, whose quality range of Arsenal t-shirts can be purchased online. This is your host, Joe Broadfoot. I'm here to bring you the remainder of the panel chat, recorded at the same time as our previous edition. So continuing on are Guna regulars, David Udo and Kevin Witcher, along with a special guest, Tim Payton, from the Arsenal Supporters Trust. Here's the rest of what they had to say. OK, as we have Tim Payton from the Arsenal Supporters Trust with us, it's a good opportunity to discuss exactly how well the club is being run. First up, let's allow Tim to give the Trust a plug and let us know exactly what the Trust's purpose is and what it does for its members, and indeed, what kind of supporters might be interested in joining up. So um, give the Trust a plug to start with, and then let us know about the purpose of the Trust. The Arsenal Supporters Trust exists to give supporters a voice, in, particularly in the ownership of Arsenal Football Club, how it's owned, how it's run, the corporate governance and the decision that the board makes. So we represent both small shareholders, but also give everybody an opportunity to be a member of an organisation that owns shares itself, so everybody can share in the ownership of Arsenal. We want to um, represent their views, have influence at the boardroom and with the chief executive and those that run the club so they help all working together make the club the best team in the world. And what does the Trust exactly do for the members? We provide direct representation to the club so I'm, I'm sure we'll come on and talk about Arsenal's financial results. Last week we had a meeting with a club where we can ask specific questions, run through those results, make sure we're more briefed, provide the question members have to the club, but also take information back. We have a viewpoint which we can pull across at the AGM as, as shareholders in the club. We will use the media to put influence on the club, and being a, being a voice that represents equity has particularly meant in the last couple of years with the ownership changes that we get good access to talking to other equity holders, and generally we're there to act as a kind of constructive critic um, of the club and all that they're doing. And what kind of fans should be interested in joining up with the Arsenal Trust? Well, anyone who cares about the future of the club, because the future of the club derives primarily from its ownership. Those that own it will appoint the manager, will set its values, will decide how the supporters are looked after. So if you're interested in anything beyond just the result, but the long-term future of the club and how the club acts and behaves, then you should be a member of the Trust. Okay, looking at a few areas, let's start with the figures the financial figures recently released by the club. The fans might be surprised to see that huge profits, which don't appear to be spent on the football team, have appeared in the balance sheet. What, what's that all about? Well, the first thing we should say is that, particularly at Arsenal, there's nothing wrong with profit. We have a board and an ownership structure of, uh, I think, for more than 30, 40 years. Kevin has never taken any money out of the club. So profit does go back into the club. You might then have debate about how that profit is used. And I think that's really where your question is heading. But, but most of the profit that you can see declared in the most recent accounts is actually the unspent money, if you like, from the Toure and Adebayor transfers in, it, in its simplistic sense. We, we can talk about whether or not 
the manager should have chosen to spend that money in January, but it's still there. You can identify it if you look at it in the account, accounts, in the financial reserves. It is sitting there. There is something called the transfer proceeds account, which means that any money gained in transfers has to be re-spent either on future transfers or on the contracts of players, and that is what will happen. There is a significant amount sitting there waiting for the next time the Arsenal manager decides he wants to strengthen his team. See, Tim, if, if, if I may, from the outside looking in, um, as, as an Arsenal fan who considers himself relatively intelligent, um, I mean, I, I see we've, we've cleaned EBITDA of, sorry, earnings before interest tax deductions and amortisation of about £35.5 million based on the last figures. Um, the six months before that, I think, was somewhere in the 20s, 20 million. So, uh, from the outside looking at in, uh, we should have about 50 million pounds burning a hole in the manager's profit, less um, money spent on Thomas Vermaelen. Or from this pot, do we also take um, increased player wages and um, renewals of contracts? Certainly, what the, what the club have made a, a, a very big point of getting across recently is that 17 players recently have been put on new and extended contracts and the point that um, Ivan Gazidis was making last week is that it is only William Gallus that is not on a long-term contract tied to the club. Now that obviously gives you great stability with your player base. Different question, do you think all of those 17 players are <laughs> yeah. good enough or should have <coughs> these contracts? But by having them on those contracts, you do protect their value as well in the transfer market. And, of course, everyone can have a lot of hindsight on this. Mm. So when Flamini leaves, because he hasn't been on a long-term contract, the club are incredibly stupid for not having tied that down. Mm. Quite a lot of the money that you refer to has gone on that wage bill, which right. I think, you know, look at the moment is showing an annualised rate of increase of 17%. So there's quite a few players there who have done quite well in their contract renegotiations, including you can, can safely assume, I think, considerable increases and in commitments to the captain, um, we all understand you know, the, the, the incentives he'll have to go elsewhere, so the club needs to be looking after him well. But the captain can't surely be happy with the state of affairs at the club, bearing in mind that we're in the, we're in the race for the title. We really haven't spent significantly, other than bringing in Sol Campbell, which was a free transfer, and we only, I, I assume we were matching the wages he was getting at Notts County. And I find that, I find that alarming. Well, there have been quotes attributed to Fabregas today. <coughs> and, um, I, th I think it's Le Keep, actually, of all, um, of all publications, saying that he, it, the, he worked, the word he used was mystified as to why the manager didn't strengthen in, uh, in the January transfer window. I mean, we've, we've discussed this on previous podcasts and... Sadly, the fact of the matter is there's nothing much we can, we can do about it now. Um, uh, I'm sure that Cesc Fabregas' intentions will become clear after May the 10th. But if, if Arsene Wenger's got so much money burning a hole in his pocket, I'm not saying he should go out and spend all of it, but at least some of it to strengthen the squad we've got. Because most, most of the fans, OK, we're three points off the top. But nonetheless, a lot of fans would say yeah. that's... I the, think the squad think isn't strong the, enough, the, certainly in the goalkeeping position. I think the, the manager is obsessed with the concept of value, and the problem there is that Arsenal are a big club. You know, the figures are available as to how much profit they're making, and the smaller clubs are going to say, "Well, hang on a minute. You know, we 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 want a bit more money than you're offering." 
And I think part of the penalty you pay for being a big club is that you do sometimes pay a bit more than you might want to because A, you can afford it and B, you're just not going to get what you want unless you're prepared to do that. So I get the feeling that maybe there are players out there who we might have signed if we took a different approach but it's almost like a a micro world that Arsene Wenger operates in where basically he's doing things his way and if it won't be done his way they won't be done and I think we've suffered as a club through his stubbornness I think he could be more adaptable I think he has now definitely got the money to actually meet some of these smaller clubs halfway we would have signed Shamak last summer what happened was we we did a deal with Bordeaux everything was was basically as good as rubber stamped but not legally at the stage where it's binding and then we sold Adebayor off the back of that so we got, we got Shamak coming Adebayor can go now we can cash in on Adebayor because we got his replacement in a year's time, though, is that yeah, no, quick enough? On, I've not finished Sorry. this story. Adebayor was sold. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, they doubled the fee, I think. Pretty much. Oh, okay. And then Arsenal said, well, you know, we're not doing business. Yeah, as so we that, can get him for free. Well, I obviously, we've waited Obviously, his year. wages now, are going to go up. Now, you know, and we've if waited. we'd have bought him, you know, would we be in a better position now, given that Van Persie was injured? Uh, in probably. Kev- Kevin's Most quite right. Arsene Wenger is probably... The, the only manager, or certainly the manager who takes this to the, to the most extreme, who considers value and considers himself to act like a director of the club as well as a manager. Sometimes is he too conservative with that, perhaps? Or are we going to see over the next two or three years, we saw it in, you know, coincidentally on Friday when Arsenal announced their results, perhaps Portsmouth wished that in Harry Redknapp they'd had a manager who thought, who'd thought a little bit more about the finances of the club. Perhaps in the next two or three years, Manchester United are going to wish that Alex Ferguson had thought about the financial situation of the club and not so much about the next player he was going to sign. Probably you need to get a balance in all of it, and sometimes Arsene Wenger is ultra-conservative. I do think if we look at the next era of the game, we'll actually see far more managers becoming like Arsene Wenger. And, and within the job description, the remit will be to help the board and the club manage the financial situation, rather than, if you like, the old-style model, which was the manager's job was to push for as much as he could get, and the board's job was to limit him <laughs> just what they could possibly afford. And, that, you know, looking at the way football finances are now, you know, the best manager going forward is going to have to do both. Well, that's the separation of, of powers that, that exists majoritively in, on... Uh, throughout clubs on the continent is that that's the director of football's role isn't it to uh, where the coach literally coaches and I'm sure the coach identifies the players but you know it's the director of football's job mm. to you know, negotiate that and, and consider you know everything in its um, um, completeness I suppose one, one thing I did want to ask you Tim with regard to our, our profits um, like most Arsenal fans I read all of the, the daily blogs and everything and I've seen all the conspiracy theories knocking backwards and forwards and one concern that a lot of Arsenal fans seem to have is that um, whilst our property business uh, apparently or uh, apparently exists completely separately from the football side of things um, obviously we, we we took on the Highbury Square project ourselves as a football club rather than selling it to Wimpy at the time um, Obviously, we've had the, the world economic crisis, the huge crash in the property market. 
have any monies been moved across from player sales to sort of make up the shortfall? No, the property is ring-fenced from the football business and you can see that following through the accounts. I can just update very briefly on what's actually happening with the property situation. Before the season has ended, Arsenal are confident that they will have cleared all property debt. So they will have no property debt left on the books at all. When they reach that moment, they will probably still have in the region of 100 apartments at Highbury Square left to sell. They'll also have the 375 apartments um, to sell on the market basis at Queensland Road. This is on top of the affordable housing that Newlong will build. And they have two or three other small bits of the property portfolio. Um, Nigel Phillips of the Arsenal Supporters Trust, who does our financial analysis, estimates that you could be looking at a surplus of perhaps about £50 million in the next couple of years coming into the club from its various property um, portfolios. You, if you read the, the, the wording, Arsenal, typically being very cautious, said that they will look to invest some of that in improving <laughs> the infrastructure of the club and perhaps players. I think they're deliberately there doing the typical Arsenal, talking it down. I'm not sure what infrastructure there is left to invest in. Best training ground in the world, best stadium in the world. Perhaps they'll give us all heated seats. <laughs> you know, or a personal hostess coming out of a cup of coffee. Actually, they just make sure about that. Just make sure there's fucking Bovril at half time. Three weeks now there hasn't been a... Sorry, please continue. Yeah. But, but they are always cautious because they, they have this issue of value. But, you know, about the only time I've seen the club get very, very upset with a trust has been when we have put figures on what they might have to spend um, and I've been a bit sceptical at that, but then actually it was you know, an old face from the club, but when I bumped into David Dean not so long ago and was recounting this to him, and he said, well, it's true, he said, once, <laughs> once um, Arsenal had to deal with agents turning up at the training ground, holding articles based on stories of information the trust had put out, saying, the club's got more money, therefore my player must get more money. <laughs> You'd think that the agents could read the club accounts yeah, without sure. having to rely on a, on a trust version, but apparently it doesn't work like that. But the club are very conservative in stating what they have to play with. But undoubtedly, there, are, there is a good pot of money there. The more interesting question is, will the manager ever choose to use more of it? I think he will. And in fact, we hear now, don't we, that Shamak is already a done deal. And if I just go back to the question already asked, when you do put pressure behind the scenes at the club, some of the answers that are given, which is what Arsene gives publicly, is he would only buy world class... And I think we would all probably agree that no world class at all moved in this transfer window. Perhaps our frustration is spend a few million on someone that just gets four points for. They might not be world class, but that extra four points might. How much? How much does a goalkeeper and cost? Is the question well, that everyone the, wants to know the answer to. There's the one you'd really look at. But also, if he knows exactly who he wants in June, and I, you do really want Champions League quality. Champions League quality mm. doesn't sell in January. And should he have bought another striker in January but generally to cover speaking, for four or five games who wasn't match fit, knowing Shamak mm. was coming in June? So you do have to balance the short term and the long term. I think all of us think perhaps a little bit more could have been done about the, the, you know, covering this current four-month period. But some big deals have been done in January. Obviously, we got our Shavin last year, and then we had uh, Jose Antonio Reyes. He wasn't a bad, a bad well, signing. Did that work our, out? Not long term, but he, he did a job. He did a job. And I, I personally thought he was a class player, but 
Well, he couldn't adapt to the kind of challenges See, that come in from well, the likes of uh, awesome we won't go there. Our Shavin was touted around the 25 million in the summer. No and one Tottenham took was him, sniffing, but, but no one, no, no one took went. him at that price. Arsenal mm. wouldn't have bought him at that price. Arsenal picked him up. Yeah, and they got him on. You know, and in effect, he yeah. he went on strike from his club, so he mm. was quite a unique circumstance of, mm. of coming out. But they got him at a value. Price. It's interesting because Arsene yeah. Wenger actually said he wasn't interested, if I'm not mistaken. In, in the summer he's also said that Mara Ramchamak speaking to five clubs at the moment you know um, <coughs> I, th- I think Wenger's proven one thing during his tenure if, if nothing else which is what he says to the press isn't necessarily what he says to his players his bosses or, um, uh, or the board of directors um, yeah I, I personally wouldn't read too much into that I, 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 I agree with you I think the Arshingham deal happened purely because by that stage he was available for less than half of what he was available for in the summer and we did need a a kick up the arse that year is. I mean, the bottom line is, aside from you know the games against Chelsea and Manchester United, it hasn't been that awful sort of between December and January. And, um, whereas you know this time last year, I think we went on that horrendous run of sort of three consecutive nil nils at home. We were playing dire football. Our centre forward's head was already in Milan or Manchester, and mm. it wasn't a nice. You know, we were booing our own players off the pitch. It, it just generally was it a nice place as the manager said himself he'd never worked so hard for so little reward <coughs> with so much criticism in a single season well Larsen obviously gets gets on very well with the current ownership but what about the new ownership if that actually happens seems a bit of a stalemate at the moment what do you think uh, Tim is going to happen in the long term in terms of the ownership of Arsenal Football Club I think I, I think in the in, in the longer term that's hard to say, but I think the club is quite stable at the moment. I think that they have made their decision that they'll invite Stan Kroenke onto the board. I think that clearly Stan Kroenke and Danny Fisman feel comfortable working with each other. That they are in a position where they can hold control of the board, and we will see things sit relatively stable. As the um, as the in light of. Lady Nina Bruce Bracewell Smith leaving the board. Um, has has that nullified the lockdown agreement between the previous um, uh, sorry the, between the previous board of directors or has Stan Kroenke become a party to party? No, to Stan, Stan Kroenke never became a part of the lockdown. In, in effect, you can view the lockdown now as having ended or right. having no value. Right. What you do have, and there's been a quite a complicated movement of shares between certain parties in, in recent years, but you have a situation whereby Cronky and Fisman between them, together with other board members, friends of the board, and the majority of the small shareholding base, which would support the status quo, have the voting rights for just over 50%, and that means that the club is in a, is in a stable position. I think that we will see for uh, you know a considerable amount of time we will see mm. Arsenal um, the principal directors being Stan Kroenke and Danny Fisman. Uh, so, sorry, sorry to so cut you off, Joe, but um, I remember the last time you did the uh, did a podcast with us, Tim. Um, you spoke about your dialogue with other uh, other big shareholders. I understand that you, the AST have been over to Colorado a couple of times to speak with Stan Kroenke, and at the time you you had tentative and a, a few. Um, for want of a better expression, arm's length discussions with everyone's elephant in the room, red and white holdings. Um, as they, obviously, they they are the the party to uh, of whom everyone is slightly sceptical. How is AST's relationship with them? I'll, I'll give a brief update for everyone of our of our discussions with both. We met Stan Kroenke, I think, twice just before Christmas on his two visits over, partly to continue the dialogue with him. As during that time, he moved to being the principal shareholder with. 
almost 30%. What we said to him was consistent with what we said when we built a good relationship from the beginning, that we were comfortable with his involvement in the club, reminded him, we felt, of the importance of custodianship and the importance of how the club was run, and said which we'd say to everybody, that we would be against him taking over the club wholly, so he owned it privately. We sought from reassurances from him that he wasn't based on lots of debt, that he would run a club properly and professionally, and he gave those reassurances and pointed to his businesses in the States. Part of the reason we asked about that were there had been some newspaper stories, you know, it's been said to me, suggested to me, prompted by... The, the red and white group invite Usman off as you said suggesting that he couldn't afford to pay for the shares all in one go which he said is a nonsense and his arrangement to pay for the shares was based on the standard procedure of instalments over a year in fact that subsequently occurred right. and pointing out you know his financial situation as being healthy so he addressed some of that if we come more to you know to, to the red and white we will have a dialogue with them we think as a major shareholder very important they have been relatively quiet recently perhaps some of that is because last summer they did make, make some claims that Arsenal were in dire financial position as a result of the property investments and you'll all recall that clearly at the moment their predictions that you know Highbury Square would kind of drag Arsenal into some kind of I don't think Portsmouth scenario, but drag <laughs> Arsenal down out of the top four, no longer able to compete, hasn't occurred at all. So they're still there, they're, they're still important, but I, you know, they don't have very much to say at the moment. Right. Uh, if red and white holdings, <coughs> their predictions have be, you know, turned out to be untrue, but nonetheless, if, say, Alicia Usmanov or Stan Kroenke were to take over the club, which of those two would be more likely to buy a star players? A lot of uh, fans would like well, to know the answer to that. Well, well, neither, because both at the moment profess to be admirers of Arsene Wenger. Well, Stan Kroenke is and supports the current philosophy of the club, but as do Red and White. I think we all know that whoever owns the club, if Arsene Wenger is your manager, you have no say in the players being bought because it is his decision. And, you know, Red and White, as you know, initially had David Dean as their chairman. I think there is an assumption that if they were involved that David would still have some role. David is still the greatest advocate and champion of Arsene Wenger and the view that you should let your manager manage. Certainly the Arsenal Supporters Trust absolutely believes that. Different debate about whether your manager's time has come or gone, but we should not be in a situation where we're letting Stan Kroenke or Usmanov act like the guys at Manchester City and say, oh, I've got this... You know, I've got this new Brazilian for you. Isn't he wonderful? That's an interesting point, though, because one of the things about uh, David Dean was that um, he wanted to involve Kroenke uh, initially and then subsequently sold to Ushmanov uh, on the basis that these guys could bring money <coughs> into the club, which would help Arsenal to keep up, specifically in that manager would have money to play with in the transfer market because Dean always thought this was absolutely critical um, and now you know you're saying he's Arsenal's biggest advocate but isn't the philosophy of Arsenal over the last two or three years contradictory to what Dean himself believes in? It, it, it is, it's one of the things that you know has, has perhaps surprised me a little bit is that David Dean did have the philosophy that, in effect, I found a sugar daddy to match for Chelsea sugar daddy, whereas Arsene Wenger has seemed to take almost a view that he wants to prove that you don't have to operate like that. It, 
you know, but I think what partly frustrates many Arsenal fans is that most people can see that the Arsenal Wenger way, if it can be pulled off, is the better way to go. But all, we can all see you've kept coming back, haven't you? The goalkeeper, the goalkeeper. Oh, yeah. It's so close to making it work. And I think Arsenal Wenger mm. is sometimes very, very stubborn in wanting things to Would run he be that way. so stubborn if David Dean was part of the setup, though? Well, perhaps, you know, it, 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 I think an interesting question is. You know, does he need someone there perhaps pushing him, nagging him, cajoling him just to loosen the purse strings a little bit more? And certainly, I think, you know, David Dean, you know, he's famous for, you know, the phrase that he'd wake up and look in the mirror first thing in the morning and it would be saying back to him, get a better team. You know, and always, and probably, I imagine that Arsenal spent half his time telling David, no, we're not going to buy that player and the squad's good enough. So maybe that is a dynamic that isn't there at the moment. Certainly. You know, if you look at the, the footballing structure around Arsene Wenger, it's, it's, he is the only strong, significant figure in there. Um, people have to make their own decision of the extent to which David Dean has, has weakened a certain element of the club. Kevin, you've got views on that, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, Dean, if you're talking about Dean's history in the boardroom, uh, basically Arsenal went backwards while he was effectively running the show until the arrival of, uh, well, Danny Fisman, until Danny Fisman became the, the most significant shareholder and, and then brought in Keith Edelman to run the thing as a business. Um, what Dean was good at was basically the playing side of things, contracts, uh, negotiations, um, basically, uh, you know... Uh, Mixing up with people and, and uh, he's a charmer. It's why he's taken <coughs> the job that he has with 2018. You know, mm. I mean, that's that's his strength. And uh, I think Dean was an asset to the club in the department in which he was strong. Um, sadly, the club did go backwards um, towards. I mean, basically, the, 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 the club saw off Liverpool. The club ended Liverpool's era of domination, and with a different boardroom approach, we could maybe have filled the gap that Manchester United actually ended up filling. Maybe it wouldn't be as, as, as simple as that, but maybe we could have kept up with Manchester United. Maybe Manchester United wouldn't have won so many titles and Arsenal might have won a few more um, if we'd got things right in the way the club was being run in the 90s. Sadly, it was a bit amateurish, it was a bit old school, and uh, ultimately it was out, out of sync with the times and we were left trailing in Man United's wake We've spent the last 10 years catching up. We've actually now, ironically, financially, overtaken Manchester United. Because A, we're earning uh, more or less the same money. However, we don't have these huge debts. And, um, you know, the one thing I will say about the long view uh, of the way things have happened is that Arsenal are set fair. Um, Manchester United can get out of their problems by the club, <coughs> club being sold but um, overall I think there's been problems with the board in the way that they've allowed Arsene Wenger to become such a key figure and it's a situation that's just slowly developed and been allowed to happen without any checks and balances and that's not good but at the same time, you you can't argue with where the club do stand financially now. You know they are unquestionably now that the property has been resolved and it was looking shaky for a while. They're going to get away with it, and they've done a good job. 
See, another thing I wanted to ask you, Tim, I mean, the, the dark days of the 90s in terms of the, the club's performance as a business, I mean, they were my, my formative years, my teenage years, and, and back in the innocent days when I only had to worry about Arsenal as a football club rather than anything else. But sort of, I mean, during my, my 20s, um, it appears to have been a dark old time as Keith Edelman um, was a businessman rather than a football fan. Uh, I, I, well, that's certainly the impression that you've got from the outside looking in and um, his relationship with, with the fan base via AST or AISA or whoever, again, didn't come across as great. Um, and we seem to sort of go backwards, and I think that's where the sort of disparity between the fan base and, and the club sort of emanated from. But under Ivan Gazidis, we appear to be turning around. We've seen the arsenalisation of the, of the new stadium, uh, which, which now looks great inside and out. Um, after a year or so at the helm, uh, how is Ivan Gazidis working out for you guys? When Keith Edelman was dismissed by the board, the Arsenal Supporters Trust wrote to them and set out the specification of what we thought was needed in a new chief executive, and there were three key areas. We talked about someone that could drive the club forward in the commercial arena, and we have subsequently seen the appointment of Tom Fox as Chief Commercial Officer. When I was in Highbury House last week, they are totally rebuilding the canteen area to put new offices in for a number of marketing and commercial executives who are coming in. I think you can see the difference. I think Arsenal might have had 13 to Manchester United's 80 last year. We are significantly catching up with that. There are plans to, you know, there's a head of global partnerships coming in, a head of retail. They really are having a hard look at how they improve the commerciality. And that, even, even Ivan Gazidis himself comes very much from that American sports background and looking at all of that. Another area that we highlighted was the need to be much more of a good advocate for the club and have a good relationship with supporters. Not only have I felt that the arsenalisation has been great, but I think the thing that most impressed me about Gazidis was when I complimented him on that, he said, well, most of the ideas came from the fans themselves. They've got the best ideas. They're the supporters of the club. And his whole approach is, you know, is to listen. Again, he's making himself available to everyone in the trust membership the day after the season, you know, to talk about whether things have gone well or not, what can be done better. You know, he, he does make himself accessible. He's set up this strategic review for the club of how it operates, what its values are, how it interacts with supporters. And last week he set up a meeting for the Arsenal Supporters Trust with the consultants doing that work. So I think that area is done. The final area we said the club needed to strengthen and is perhaps the one where the jury is out still most, which was on the footballing area where we did talk about a director of football, where we did say we needed someone to represent, not just in that area, but with UEFA, with FIFA, where all the rules are changing. I think there is some good engagement there, but obviously we'll judge football mostly on, on what happens on the pitch. Right. Um, as Just one thing on a personal point of view, um, as Mr Gazidis intimated as to whether or not we'll be having white sleeves next season. He hasn't to me. Right, no. okay. No. I was just, but I was just he, there's been some dodgy pictures out there yeah. on, <laughs> in the internet land Absolutely. that you really do not want to see. I, I do understand that the clock is coming back into the stadium, and he is a man who, if he's used the word custodian once, he's used it ten times. I would have a guess, knowing he's savvy for these things, that you'll see white sleeves. Well, Gazidis seems to be very good at PR, and uh, we've heard that the club level season ticket renewers will get. £500 off and free programmes for every match next season. 
if they pay by a certain date. It indicates that the expensive seats are becoming a tougher sell. But can you shed any light on this particular subject? Well, I, I think it, it, yeah. every major sporting business in the country, at its hospitality level, at its premium seat level, is, is having a torrid time. That's what happens in a recession. Mm. Probably not made any easier when you get this sense that you're almost there with trophies, but not quite. You can go to Manchester United and buy tickets on match day now for their smaller games. You can buy what you want in their corporate level, and yet look at the success they've had. Mm. So I think you, you have to kind of take the recession impact, mm. and particularly recessions where companies and high-level high individuals are buying to see that times are going to be tough so I'm not surprised that Arsenal are putting more effort into marketing into offering discounts into offering incentives it's very important I think 40% of the, of the club's revenue comes from about 12% of its seats but, but is it true that the ordinary season ticket waiting list has now, has now been closed I, I, I don't know about that I um, haven't specifically asked that question well I've I'm not sure it's officially been closed, but people have certainly been dissuaded from joining it on the basis that the club claim it's um, way too long and you're going to have to wait many years for a season ticket. What they're trying to do is steer people towards <coughs> buying a season ticket in club level, which kind of indicates that they are maybe getting quite uh, anxious about selling those. I mean, they call it the club level waiting list, but um, frankly, you could buy a club level season ticket tomorrow. There's no wait. Um, that's a fairly standard business practice isn't it though if one of your products is is highly in demand and in effect you, you can't meet the capacity but you've got a more expensive product then you, you offer that to people so you, do you want to join the waiting list or do you want to get in now mm. and I think you're right I think if you want to get into club level for next season you will be able to do that yes absolutely um, but it's uh it's, it'll be interesting to see how long the uh, 40,000 uh, season ticket waiting list remains because uh, gradually people are letting, letting their season tickets go. It's, 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 a bit of a, it's not a significant drift, but it's a steady drift. And there are people who have been going many, many years who are talking about not renewing this summer. Um, and I think the, the days when you needed a season ticket to go in and get, and get to the games as a guarantee are almost gone I mean there's such a huge secondary market now of spare membership cards floating around from people who, who do only go about six times <coughs> a season that people have become aware of it now if people are organised they can get hold of one um, you know the the what Arsenal actually need to, to keep the kind of intensity of demand going to, to where it used to be is to actually win a few things and that's going to make a lot of difference because what people want to see is event games and we haven't had enough of those and the ones we have had have fallen flat so Arsenal need to be winning trophies or we are gradually going to see a lot more um, regulars picking and choosing their games and not paying for season tickets I moved from I, I, I mean my first year of being a season ticket holder since the early 90s um, and in the last three years, I moved from number 14,500 to 12,000 to 8,000 to number one on the waiting list. Well, that's how, how I got, I was 14,500 three years ago, and now I, I was number one last summer. Last summer. So um, if we don't win anything this year, it will be, um, 
an interesting summer. I wish I was that high on the waiting list. That well, 49,000. You, you, you won't have to summer. wait long, Joe, believe you me. Uh, <laughs> it hmm. will whittle down because not everyone's going to take up the offer. And that's the point. You know, that's the interesting thing about club level. Club level is so expensive. Now, if people, people are turning down season tickets at the upper tier prices, which are most of the season tickets become available are those in the upper tier. Uh, club level is at least double those. Um, so there is a limit to what people on that waiting list are prepared to pay for a season ticket. They, if they can get a lower tier one, chances are they'll probably take it. If they can't, they'll just say, oh, we'll leave it then, because they're probably going to quite a few games already. You know, they, they don't, they've seen enough football. They don't need the season ticket anymore. They just happen to be on the waiting list. Yeah, and of course, there are people out there that would blame the lack of success in the last few years. They would blame that. Well, as Tim yeah. says, even Man United mm. are having problems. So. And they've had plenty of success despite their debts. Yeah. But um, this is addressed to you, Tim. I mean, what can you predict in the seasons ahead for Manchester United, Chelsea and Liverpool, given that the owners um, have obviously put those clubs in debt? And are Arsenal likely to dominate football in the future with this current ownership model? Obviously, Chelsea is not exactly in debt because it's a benefactor, but um, in, in a sense, they're living beyond their means. I think you have to pick out two different types of ownership. And if you look at Premier League rather than around Europe, Arsenal undoubtedly have got the, the Rolls-Royce business model of self-sustainability, which is of having a business model that generates huge revenues to reinvest in the team. That would mean, I would expect, over the next few years, that all things being equal, and as Kevin mentioned earlier, the only way you change the situation at a Manchester United or a Liverpool that are hugely in debt is with someone else buying them and clearing that debt and injecting money in. So I think that, that the future of competing with Manchester United and Liverpool, who are both operating under huge levels of debt, is very positive. For, but harder to question is eventually, you know, Manchester United, City throwing money at the issue will surely get somewhere, isn't it? A bit like you put you put a chimpanzee at a typewriter, and eventually they'll get Shakespeare out. Might take a long time, but if you keep going and keep going, you know, it's a truism in football. City will will are probably, you know, Arsenal must be looking there, thinking, oh God, I can't believe it. You know, all this time to build this model. And here, come, you know, just when Roman Abramovich <laughs> looks like sort of giving up on the constant investment and expecting the club to live, you know, similarly in the way that the others do, along come City. But I think we can, you know, Arsenal have, with that stadium, with the model that they have, they have a very good opportunity to be one of the strongest clubs for the next five years. Also... And people could say this has been the problem, but what was one of the points that Arsenal was making even you know, after all of the events at Stoke was uh, across the midfield, he had an average age of 22. He has got a team there that if you believe it is getting better with every game, he has got some of the best youngsters that will learn and grow experience, and they're all on these long-term contracts that we've talked about. That's a very stable future. Might be a stable future, but there's a lot of fans out there who want success now. Not they don't want to wait for even well, next the, the, year. The fans are also questioning whether, in the future, the players will deliver because they don't have necessarily the faith in the, all of the players that are <coughs> tied down to long-term contracts. I mean, there are quality concerns. You know, I mean, effectively, Arsenal is always promising jam tomorrow, and. Um, 
then when it doesn't arrive, he says, well, actually, we are successful. You know, last season was a success according mm. to Arsenal because we made the Champions League semi-finals. Well, it, the reason we made the Champions League semi-finals was because we beat a pretty average Roma team on penalties, and Villarreal had some very key players out when we when we played them. So we had an easy old run to the semi-final, and then we met a decent team, and we were pretty much humiliated. So he's very selective, Arsenal, and and he's, he'd always find an argument that suits the situation. However more and more people aren't buying it so um, I mean what this team actually needs is to win something, I mean it didn't matter if it was the bloody Carling Cup or the FA Cup, it needs to win something to give the players and the supporters the belief exactly and, and without that belief you're, you're not going to go very far but that first trophy is absolutely everything and I'm hopeful that you know there is a good old chance it might be the Premier League title now and that could make this group of players and, and restore the faith in everybody. Um, it's become disproportionate, hasn't it, Kevin, mm. in, in, in how that's needed. I wouldn't disagree in that, you know, let's just foresee a situation where we come second in the Premier League by two points. Most years you would say that's a very, very good achievement, but I think, you know, coming people after five years yeah, yeah. of it people will say well, he, they won't say well done for coming second they well should have said we, we should have bought a bloody goalkeeper for outperforming yes. our way if you at look least at Arsenal's what, the, the, mm. you know the, the, the truism of football is that you know you can look at the wage bill of a club and very pretty accurately predict where it will come in the league it's been mm. shown to be the, the, the metric over the years that is correct Arsenal at the moment would be fourth because mm. um, Manchester City have just thrown money at it. So basically, we're punching above our we're, we're out, Arsenal is mm. outperforming mm. the situation there, mm. but I think fans who are paying, you mm. know, not the fourth highest ticket prices, but <laughs> probably along with Chelsea, yeah. the highest ticket prices, and because it's been five years, want a bit more than that. And expectations do change. Arsenal keeps saying, and I think history will probably be much kinder to him on this point, that the 12 successive years of Champions League qualification is an amazing achievement. I think we've taken it for granted now. It's like, if he didn't get it, it would be, you should be sacked, rather than, you've got it again, you've got it again. You know, thank you for doing that. It is, it is taken for granted, isn't it? Champ Champions League qualification is taken for granted. You ask sort of, you know, Liverpool fans this year mm. what they think about that and what would happen to their club if they don't get it. Mm. It's touch and go, of course, with Liverpool. But um, looking at the relationships between the different supporters' trusts and the different clubs, I mean, how would you compare the Arsenal supporters' trusts' relationship with, uh, with Arsenal Football Club in comparison with some of the other large trusts out there, like Manchester United, they've got a trust in Liverpool as well. I mean, how well, does both, those, trust both those trusts uh, have got huge campaigns against the ownership structures of their club because mm. of the debt that we have. It's one of those ironies of football. I think the grass is always greener, perhaps. Uh, the Manchester United fans say they wish they had a board and a club run like Arsenal because they can see our long-term stability and our financial mm. positioning. We say we wish we win a few more trophies like Manchester United. Um, we haven't had to as a trust perhaps operate in the same way as some of those clubs that have been under the distress of overseas ownership loading lots of debt on or acting in a way that you're not content with we you know our situation has always been one where we will challenge so you know we got to know Stan Cronkley when the Arsenal board weren't speaking to him and we recommended they appointed him <coughs> we um 
we have challenged them to appoint a chief executive who would be better with supporters and increase the commercial activity. So we do challenge them, but we do it from a point of view that we believe at the moment that we do have a board that believes in overall in the custodianship and the plurality of ownership, wants the club to be stronger, as we do. So we'll, we'll have a best relationship by challenging each other, but working alongside each other. Let's hope we don't have the day where we have to organise marches against someone who we don't think is fit and proper to be running our club, or against the six, seven hundred million pounds of debt that they want to load on to the club. That's why the Arsenal Supporters Trust is adamant that it will always promote plural ownership and no excessive debt. We will, if we need to, march against that when the time comes. But how about if it's a trade-off, trophies or debt? <coughs> what, what is, you know, if you've got to well, take one or the other? it depends what kind of debt it is, ultimately. We are already in debt. Yeah, so it's been I mean, it's, it's basically whether it's debt which is taken out... I mean, the, our debt is, is based on an asset, you know, the stadium. Manchester United's debt is just to pay for the Glazer family to buy the club you know that sort of debt I wouldn't approve of um, but no. you'd approve of the trophies well no, of course no, it no, well, you, but, you, but not not, not, not I if mean, it was got, in terms of that kind of level Port, of debt Portsmouth fans had a brilliant party at Wembley two years ago yeah and look at and, them now, and won yeah, the FA yeah, Cup yeah, I mean, most point. of them will say that wasn't worth it mm. now the equivalent probably you know for Arsenal is that elusive Champions League you know, uh, mm. you know something that you know, is really fundamental to the supporters. I don't know about the others around this table. I wouldn't want the Champions League next year if I thought that 18 months after it, mm. the club was in danger of being liquidated. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that uh, there are... I mean, I think my frustration is that Arsenal may have even been prepared to gamble a, li <coughs> a little bit um, in the transfer market to improve their chances. But the manager's been absolutely firm about this and he said no you know I'm, I'm not going to gamble at all when uh, you said firm I was feeling the word stubborn coming across but well, you no, didn't say no, that no, to <laughs> avoid repetition um, so I think the problem with Arsenal is that basically we can all see areas where things haven't gone right but, I mean, there is a hell of a lot that ha that has been done very well. And it's easy to criticise. Of course it outside. is, you know. But, I mean, it's it's ultimately, I think what it comes down to is that we do get so close and then you get frustration frustration that <coughs> we that little 5% and we can spot why the 5% is there, that little gap between finishing just out of the picture and winning the damn thing. You know, it's 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 very small margin and... Uh, that's why I think if we were comfortably in fourth place without even challenging every single season, people would get used to it, frankly. But it's the frustration of knowing we could do it that, that hurts the most. And, uh, you know, I mean, as I said earlier, everyone who criticises the club as an Arsenal fan is doing it because they care, not because, you know, they, they want the club to fail. And, and uh, you know, if we do manage to win something, even the people who've been knocking Wenger and the players all season will be partying just as hard because that's what we all want in the end. You know, I don't want to be proved right. I want to be proved wrong by, by the team being successful. It would defy logic if Arsenal won the title this season. But a unique series of circumstances are combined to give them the opportunity and, 
you know, we could set a precedent of winning the league with <coughs> without a, a goalkeeper worthy of the name or any defensive organisation. Brilliant, you know. I mean, Brazil did it. We did win a World Cup in 1970 playing that way. Um, but you only have to win six games. And also, they were at altitude. If the Premier League was played at altitude, Arsenal would piss it without any question at all. <laughs> Because uh, the Stoke players wouldn't get near them. But, I'd love uh, to see how we work on defending against, for instance, uh, throw-ins from, yeah, from well, Stoke City. Well. I mean, just to I'd finish, love just to be there, just to just to witness what we actually do. I think I would be in and out of the training ground very quickly. This has been a bit of a Arsenal Sports Trust special, so just we won't go there. Just to uh, finish, I think Tim should just tell us if someone listening to this fancy joining up, what the cost is and how they go about it. What they should do is look on our website, arsenaltrust.org. The cost is just £2 a month by standing order to give you all that say and involvement in how Arsenal is owned and run. Okay, and there are lots of events staged for members. I, I, this much I will vouch for because I do happen to be a member myself and uh, I would recommend anyone to join who, who gives a damn about Arsenal. If, if you join quickly, you'll be able to come to a meeting with Tom Fox and Angus Kinnear of Arsenal's commercial team on the 15th of March when they'll set out their plans and a new strategy. And as I said, on May the 10th, Monday, May the 10th, I think it is. Anyway, the first Monday after the Sunday at the end of the season when Ivan Gazidis will look back what we've been talking about tonight whether we've been successful or not set out what he thinks of it and what he's going to do to make it better next year Ashley Cole was a greedy young soul and a greedy young soul was he in his pants he sent a text he threw up after sex and he room next to John Terry now he's lost his pop star wife and he's been to casualty he's out of the World Cup and life's all messed up tells you ever been greedy I've just about got time for the usual reminder that our email address is gunapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks once again to our sponsors, gunashirts.com, and a quick reminder that the current issue of the Guna, number 203, will be on sale at the home matches against Porto and West Ham. It can also be bought online from the Guna shop on our very own website for those who can't make it to the stadium to buy a copy. Well, that's your lot. I'm your host, Joe Broadfoot. Thanks for listening. Texan Shags and Cheryl Cole, all my brain and body need. Texan Shags and Cheryl Cole, are very good indeed. Pics of my white pants, texted to your mobile, faithful to the wife. Well, that's just bloody futile. Hairdressers in bed, puking is projectile. 55k a week just ain't right. Texan Shags and Cheryl Cole is all my brain and body need. Texan Shags and Cheryl Cole are very good indeed. Come to my hotel when we play Hot City. Don't tell my Cheryl, she will find my shitty. Turn the telly up. Don't disturb John Terry. Shag me, but please don't kiss. Texan Shags and Cheryl Cole Is all my brain and body need Texan Shags and Cheryl Cole Are very good indeed